Svelte Radio podcast. Uh, this week we have a special guest here, but first uh, let's uh, introduce ourselves. So I'm Kevin. I run a, a site called Svelte School, which uh, has a number of different Svelte tutorials pretty much. Hey everyone, uh, this is Sean. I have not been doing a lot of Svelte recently just because I've been trying to pay more, pay down my debt on the AWS side of things. I'm still kind of ramping up on, um, on AWS stuff. Um, right now, we're in the middle of a conference that we're hosting for ourselves uh, called Amplify Days. Uh, so that should be out if, if anyone's interested in sort of being full stack front end type person. Cool. Hi, I'm Anthony. Uh, I'm a Svelte maintainer. I'm the CTO of Beyonk, uh, which is a booking platform for activity providers. And uh, I'm also heavily involved in various open sourcey things at the moment. Right. Uh, cool. And then uh, for today, we, we have a special guest. Um, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Rich. Uh, I do graphics at the New York Times. I wrote the first version of Svelte, and then I tricked a bunch of people into helping me maintain it. <laughs> that's great <laughs> hey cool. awesome uh so this is like uh, an unusual episode right because obviously we have a special guest here um i guess so we have we have some topics pre-prepared we, we tweeted out some some um you know questions about you know what people want to know uh but i guess i guess just to like kind of kick things off you know we should probably talk about the big front end masters workshop that was like maybe three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Um, uh, yeah, still about big, that, yeah. yeah, still a big deal. Um, and uh, I mean, we we and I think all of us like sat through the the live stream yeah. of it, and that was a marathon run by uh, by Rich. I just want to ask Rich, like, how, how do you feel about that? <laughs> oh God, it it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, honestly. Um, I, I'd never done a workshop before. Um, I, I went into it a little bit wet behind the ears, and I. Uh, I overprepared in all the wrong ways. I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And so I, I, it turns out I prepared about three days worth of material because I was panicking that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to fill a full day of teaching people about style. Um, so it's like, the th okay, the first 45 minutes, we're going to go through the, the tutorial and then we're going to spend the morning building a little app. And then in the, the afternoon, we're going to build a big separate app with uh, you know, progressive enhancement and it's going to talk to APIs and it's going to have a database and authentication and all of this stuff. And <laughs> like at, at about four o'clock in the afternoon, <laughs> I'm less than halfway through and I'm like, Oh God, no, I've done this horribly wrong. Um, but I, I trust the front end masters people to edit it into something usable because uh, they, they know, they know what they're doing. Um, so that should be coming out pretty soon. I think. And uh, what's also interesting is that um, the stuff you use for it, uh, for the for part of it was pretty green to you as well, and so it was almost you learning all these different technologies that had come out, you know, uh, and then just building apps in them and teaching to build apps in them, which is impressive. It's true. I I owe you a debt of gratitude for the, the recommendations <laughs> that you provided when I showed up in in our chat one day and said, "What would you use if you were going to teach people how to do authentication and this, that, and the other?" So yeah, we use auth. Well, I used Auth0 and Fauna and a couple of other things deployed on Bacel, but then well. we actually never got to that part of the workshop. So that's probably going to form like an intermediate Svelte workshop at some point in the future. Mm. Going through all of that stuff. So is that, is that something they're they're interested in? At front it's something that we've, we've sort of talked about informally. No commitments yet, but right. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, at some point, I, I think the idea is that we're going to get a sapper to a 1.0. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point during this podcast. I don't know. Um, and then there'll, there'll be, there'll, there'll perhaps be an appetite for uh, like more training materials around sapper. Cause at the moment, the, like the documentation around sapper isn't quite as comp- comprehensive as it is for salt. Um, and so, you know, there's a bit of a gap for useful training materials there probably. Well, it sounds, yeah, like, you, it sounds like you'll be back. <laughs> uh, we have Sapper on the list, um, round about there. Yeah, there you go. Um, but no, I, I think I think it's a I think it was a, a great event. I think it's it's kind of a coming of age for Svelte. It's kind of how I I, um, I, I guess like a rite of passage uh, for all front end frameworks that that their creators say something about it on front end masters. Um, and uh, Marcus Marcus always said that he's very sort of uh, picky about who he you know, let's on as, as instructors. So I think, um, you know, this, this, this was at least like probably a, a, a good entry point for a lot of people, um, for, for people who are like thinking about Svelte and, uh, you know, they want to see a lot of like training out there, even though like a lot of this, actually, you could kind of like figure it out yourself on the site, but it's good to have a workshop yeah. that, that just kind of goes through it. Yeah. I, I think actually that that's the part that I didn't really appreciate going into it was I'm, I'm there thinking that, you know, I've got to provide some, some real value here. I'm, I'm being invited on front end masters. That that's like, that's like a big deal. So I've got to prepare all this material, but actually what people care about is, um, is, is just sort of being guided through the existing training material and coming out at the back of that, feeling confident that they've understood it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and having the chance to ask you questions as well. Um, yeah, exactly. Which is also nice. Um, I think re- it really shows like, how how good the tutorial actually is on the website i actually discovered a couple of times as i was going through that tutorial in the workshop that some of the steps had changed Ooh. since i last looked at the tutorial and so i like <laughs> get to the next stage like with with an idea in my head about what i was going to say and then it's oh oh this, i don't remember this uh so oh, no. that, that was that was, <laughs> that was fun it was a bit of seat in the pants this is this is good though. This is this is interesting because it's quite hard to build a community of developers who will continue your work with you. Um, I think it's probably one of the hardest things about open source projects. A lot of them end up with a single maintainer or the original author, um, but you've actually got this bunch of people contributing, which is which is impressive. It's it's something that I'm extremely happy about and grateful for because like it's it's no big secret that I haven't been very heavily involved in open source this year for a variety of reasons, and the, the if that had happened like a year or two ago, the Svelte project would have died in its crib. But now there's a, a very healthy team of people that like, I, I have, I have no qualms about delegating all of the authority that I may have once had to, to the, the people in the core team, which isn't to say that like, I don't want to still be very heavily involved in the project. I do. I'm itching to get back into it, but it makes me feel very good about the, the health of the project. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we should we should talk briefly about that because I, I never got that onto the, the agenda. But I think something that I was very keen about from basically the the beginning was, you know, felt in, in order to get to get to the next level, I think it had to evolve in terms of, in terms of its governance. And I think now there's like this maintainers call and, and there's some form of uh, regular cadence around reviews and and sort of big ticket items that that may actually need you know more than a day's work of just uh, of, of pushing through. Um, how, how's that, how's that changed? And what's your thinking around that? Uh, well, so the fact that we had the first ever maintainers call 
uh, when was it? A few weeks ago, I guess we're due for a new one very soon. Um, yeah. That that's that's a, a real milestone, I think. That was actually the first time that we'd all got on a video chat together and <laughs> talked about stuff. And um, we spent a long time talking about um, slots because Tanley Howe's done a lot of work around fixing some of the 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 rough edges around slots. And then we we talked about a few other things, but um, a lot of it was sort of meta procedural stuff about how we as a team organize ourselves in order to to make some of these big ticket items happen and not just constantly get buffeted around by the GitHub issue noise. Um, and I, I think we I think we came up with some with some pretty good processes around around that. I'm pretty optimistic. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think I think so. The other thing that I, uh, that Svelte Society probably can do can do a bigger part of is kind of the marketing of, of Svelte. Um, you know, I, I don't even know how many minor releases that Svelte has had, but uh, some like every every minor release is is a is a marketing event potentially, uh, which used to be a big bigger deal for React. Like, oh, it's like a new version. Like everyone, you know, it's an event for for people to learn about what's been added and what's what's changed. Um, but we don't necessarily have that. We we just have the major version, uh, and that's that's like a, a meteor meteor thing. Um, and sometimes we might we might want to you know do more blogging or you know just releases. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, I mean the pro the the problem with all of this is that it takes time, right? It so does. It does. From, and and everyone is busy. <laughs> so sure, <laughs> it it is what it is. Um, um, but we are focusing our, our energies on the big thing. Uh, should we talk about TypeScript? We should. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, but so, I mean, so by, by the time happening? by the time people hear this, we will have announced um, whatever we're going to announce. I actually I've seen the PR. I haven't actually read read it. <laughs> and I, th I think anyone I think anyone who's in any way involved with Svelte has probably got an inkling of what it is. But just you know, for official reasons. Rich, tell us, tell us what it is. <laughs> Spell supports TypeScript. What? Oh my god! Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Wait, 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 wait! I got, I got, I got to break up the soundboard for this right now. Um, if, but, <laughs> did you actually get a soundboard? <laughs> well, no, I just have the. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got it. Soundboard. Okay, there we go. Um, yay! All right. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, so it, it means that you can write TypeScript inside your Svelte components and you'll get type checking inside your script. So like caveat, right now, um, this is uh, mostly geared towards uh, VS Code users because that's where the, um, like that's the main Svelte extension is a VS Code extension and um, it's built on top of a language server, which may, means that it's technically editor agnostic. But I think, Pretty much all of us are VS Code users, and a lot of our users are VS Code users. So that's where um, a lot of the initial energy has been focused. So if you're writing TypeScript inside a script block of a Svelte component, um, I think you need to have like lang equals TypeScript, or is it lang equals TS? Um, either works. It, it, either works. Um, then you'll get all the usual type checking and auto completion and all of that stuff, and uh, you'll also get auto completion and IntelliSense inside your markup, which is very cool. And if you import a Svelte component into a TypeScript component, um, which I mean, typically you would only do that once in an app at the top level, um, you would import app from app.svelte and then instantiate it, but you will get the 
type checking um, on that as well because the uh, your TypeScript files now understand the Svelte component API. It's also worth noting that um, none of the core maintainers are, are particularly large TypeScript users. I know that Svelte itself is written in TypeScript, but we don't tend to write a lot of front-end stuff in TypeScript. So we have to really give massive props to Walter here, who's kind of jumped on and, and sort of spearheaded this whole process. And, and the community around that, Dumby Dum, um, and you know, I'm going to call people screen names because I can't remember all the names, but <laughs> these, these people have produced uh, an, an amazing amount of stuff uh, to get TypeScript into, into production-ready state. So really impressive. So if you want to listen to more about TypeScript support, uh, we did a podcast episode on this a couple of episodes back with both Warda and uh, Simon on. So you can listen to that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, my, my personal sort of uh, perspective on that is that it's actually more than a TypeScript um, support. It, it's, it's a language server that happens to support TypeScript. Um, so it, so it's, this work is actually far bigger than mere TypeScript. I mean, that's, that's a big deal. Um, but I, I think maybe people don't appreciate how much work goes into general language support because, you know, Svelte is a language and, and Rich has a blog post on that. Um, and essentially, this is an extension that gives you a better developer experience around that language, um, whether it's like checking the, the CSS class names you know like i i saw this uh, i saw john cooperman on twitter um say that he like lost two hours because um the he had like a mismatched css class name uh, versus the one he actually used uh, and that just doesn't happen in svelte and you might as and with the with a language server you get advanced warning whether or not you use typescript and i think that's that's something that order is trying to push as well and that the fact that typescript tooling benefits you whether or not you actually use typescript um and so i think uh you know, even people who don't necessarily care about TypeScript but care about developer experience may may find this work useful. Um, that's kind of why it's called language tools, I guess. And yeah, and I, th I think also it's worth noting that the way that it's been done, because it is uh, it, via Svelte proof process, that's a that is a, an intentional decision that means that you don't need to have um, you know a rewrite of Svelte to support TypeScript. It's literally like. Type, uh, Svelte is still kind of single language agnostic of any any other language and t full TypeScript support can just be there as a, as a result of having preprocessors. So it's uh, it's good. <laughs> That's all I got to say. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have to summarize of, that really. <laughs> I've got to eat humble pie a little bit because I've been very skeptical about the preprocess API generally. Like we sort of added it uh, um, <laughs> against me saying, ah, do we really want to add this? Like so many people were saying, we've got to have SCSS support and this, that, and the other. Uh, and I was always very skeptical because like that leads to fragmentation and it like adds all of these extra moving parts. But the fact that it's enabled Auto and that team to do this uh, is, uh, it just completely proves me wrong about everything that I've ever said about <laughs> pre-processing. It's great. Sometimes um, Rich is wrong. It, it, <laughs> I'm... I'm frequently wrong um i mean I, about, i'm still i'm still sympathetic svelte. i'm still sympathetic to the original view that like svelte is should stick as closely to html as possible and every time we make one of these decisions we step further away from the light um <laughs> but I, I think we've always tried to kind of pitch svelte as like a superset of html and, and i think maybe that's that's permissible and under that model <laughs> um i mean it's, it's yeah it's still totally valid right that's that's it it's still totally valid there the preprocessor allows you to put stuff that isn't necessarily valid in there, but the core is you can always write a Svelte component with 
basically no tooling at all. So mm. it's. Uh, I mean, as a, it's actually, yeah, it's actually kind of funny. I, when I first started um, writing in Svelte, I, I immediately immediately went for for SAS, for example, because I thought, oh, I I need this. I always need this. So. But then, like now nowadays, I'm I'm finding myself just writing plain CSS pretty much, and it's it's like that with with a lot of things. I just go back to to the basics. I I rarely really use the. Well, so the, so one feature yeah. is is the main thing I use, which is nesting. Um, CSS still doesn't have yeah. nesting, right? So yeah, uh, that's so. Th I I find so I used to use SAS a lot, and I was quite keen on it. But then, when I when it was possible for me to write styles that were scoped to a component, like I, I just no longer needed to use nesting because nesting is a thing that I primarily used as a namespacing mechanism and you don't need namespacing inside a component. So it was that and it was variables, but we have CSS uh, custom properties now. So like the two main reasons that I ever wanted to use SAS in the past uh, are no longer applicable. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there's probably a lot of people who are sort of using this stuff out of muscle memory without... Mm. Stopping something yeah. if it's still actually necessary. Well, I mean, so for me, it's actually code organization. Like I can collapse a, an entire block, and I don't have to worry about that block mm -hmm. of CSS. But I can still, you know, view the others. How big are your components? <laughs> right, exactly. I just have a lot of styles. <laughs> like, wait, 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 I don't know. <laughs> like you, if you if you just your add components, a bunch of properties, you know, that, that, that adds up. Your components. <laughs> <laughs> they need more focus. This is um, this is a this is a design pattern problem. I, I will say so. It's, I think I think uh, like the it's a very nice thing to have both Tailwind and Svelte together. Um, so Tailwind for the stuff that it normally handles, and then Svelte for the Svelte scope styles for the stuff that it doesn't handle. Uh, that that seems to keep my CSS custom CSS down by quite a quite a bit. So that's that's really nice. Cool. Um, great. Uh, that's, uh, Is it? I'm going to give some applause for, for, uh, the Svelte language <laughs> everyone working on it. There we go. We need, nice. we need some, um, that, that sounds more like a fish flopping around in a, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? In a pond. We, okay, <laughs> we'll ask, we'll add some sharing in. For, for, for clarity, that, that's, that's people cheering. Sorry, it's a, uh, it go, go this is the DIY audio engineering. <laughs> People sharing. Hmm. Actually, yeah. so we have Sapper and SaltGL. Shall we? Shall we flip that? Because Sapper, I guess, is is bigger on people's minds. Um, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, what's what's going on with Sapper? <laughs> Big question. Uh, do you want to take this, Anthony? Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what I what I know, but it's it's sort of, I guess, the the general consensus is. Sapper is an opinionated app builder, right? Um, however, it's become apparent that maybe we don't really know what it is. We don't know what people want it to be and it doesn't know what it is. So there's a notion perhaps of um, maybe modularizing it. So definitely pulling apart a router, maybe using the file-based router that's in Sapper right now as the official spelt router. Um, but then also maybe looking at, you know, is it actually a bunch of rollup plugins and not a framework in its own right? Or is it a bunch of modules that produce a thing called Sapper that can each be individually used and various parts pulled out? It's, it's still up in the air. There's still a lot of discussion around what it is and what it isn't. But I would say that the API won't change too dramatically from what it is now. But what I would say is that 
the actual architecture of what separate is inside might change. Uh, and a, a one advantage of that, for instance, is that's immediately uh, apparent is uh, reducing the dependency on uh, the way that it's bundled. Because um, right now you've got kind of Webpack and you've got rollups stuck in there at the same time. Uh, they're very deeply embedded in the framework and it makes things like HMR a lot harder in, in SAP than it is in Svelte. So I don't know. The answer is I don't know. We don't know, but uh, definitely big things and, and happy to hear from the community what they think SAP should be uh, and what, what's useful to them. Uh, Rich, maybe you can make that clear and cohesive. Yeah, I, mean, I, I love this, this idea of SAP becoming bundler plugins rather than like that control being inverted. Um, I haven't quite wrapped my mind around what that would look like in terms of the code and you know, whether it's possible to have the server component and the client component be separate from each other when they need to be quite tightly coupled in various ways. Um, like the, the client is expecting to hydrate a certain markup and it's expecting to have certain preloaded data available to it. And, and so there's a, there's a lot of open questions that, that need some resolution. Um, but there's a lot of really good ideas that are floating around. And I think there's also a lot of really good ideas that we can steal from other frameworks. Some people have asked questions like, uh, can we have mixed mode exporting where some pages that are static are exported and some are dynamically server rendered and stuff like that. And, you know, we need to figure out, uh, our story around deploying to various different services make that a bit more turnkey. Um, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's issue, a lengthy roadmap. Yes, the, the, yeah. the, the long running config issue. Um, so for, for background on the config issue, just quickly, uh, the config issue is that people are sort of, it seems people are yearning for a config. We haven't really fast forwarded that yet, even though it's kind of there's PRs for it and there's designs and stuff, because maybe config isn't the right answer based on where we want this to go or where we want this to end up. And if we commit to it now, then we're kind of stuck with it. It becomes, we're, we're committing us, our future selves to something when we don't really know what the architecture of SAPR is. So, yeah. so, so when you're talking configs, you're talking about pretty much moving things that are currently in, in the rollup config sort of out of it into separate config? That and kind the of ish. flags <laughs> that you pass to the CLI. Okay. Uh, at the moment, like, yeah. you, like if, you, if you have a, a base path, for example, you have to pass in dash dash base path and, and stuff like that, which, and, and that probably does belong in, in a config file of some sort. I've always been a little bit hesitant about config files for like the reason that Anthony said, like you are committing yourself, um, but also because they tend to become a little bit of a dumping ground and they make it easier for you to have a flabbier API. Um, which maybe isn't the best reason not to have one, but uh, you know, if we do this, then we need to do it with our eyes wide open. For for just a quick question on the tooling side of things. So for for those who may not be paying too too, too close attention to the tooling side, um, Rich also you know is responsible for rollup, um, and uh, I think there's there's some work going on with with rollup. Um, I, I think the Google devs, um, the Google. Jake and Surma um, have also like started an initiative to to up, update some of them. I guess I at least like put put all the bundlers uh, on par. Like, is there some level of like maybe this these problems are better solved at the rollup level than in, at Sapper? 
um, once we solve them at roll up, then we'll then we'll fix them at SAP with at the SAPA level, or are they like kind of completely independent um, movements? There definitely are some problems that fall into that category, like CSS code splitting, for example. Right. Um, at the moment, SAPA is responsible for CSS code splitting, and the code that makes it happen is just filthy. <laughs> uh, but if you know, if, if that was something that a bundler could could do automatically, then it would make life a lot easier. Like Vite, I will I will note does do CSS code splitting. I'm not exactly sure what the mechanism is, but that's a thing that exists. And people have been playing around with a combination of Vite and Svelte. There's Svit, S V I T E. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah which I kind of like. Um, and you know, it's not inconceivable that a future version of SAPA would be based off something like that instead of Rollup. Like Vite uses Rollup under the hood for the production build, but uh, when you're developing, there's no bundler involved at all. And I know there's been talk about using Nolup instead of Rollup at development time, which is kind of a similar idea, but um, from like it's been going a lot longer. Um, so like all, all of these questions about how these things fit together are, are kind of up in the air because the front end generally is sort of up in the air at the moment about like what our relationship to, to bundlers is. Um, Snowpack and V have really shaken things up. Um, and I think we would be foolish to, to bury our heads in the sand and ignore those developments. How about the, the, shall we, should we talk about, uh, okay. So like with Sapper is like a bundle of so many things, right? There's, there's, we have routing, we have suspense. Uh, I, I, I kind of threw in suspense in there just cause like, uh, that's an issue that kind of, uh, is related to other frameworks, ideas from other frameworks that we can steal, um, and hydration, um, which of these should we, should we tackle first? <laughs> Um, mm. well, it's, yeah, there's, there's the route, which is an easy one, right? I don't know. Is that, is that easy? Well, so, so the, the route was a, a sort of a semi-official announcement, right? That there, that there would now be plans due to community demand to produce a router. Uh, we already have a router, the one in SAPA, the file-based router. Um, obviously file-based routing is not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but it gives us a good basis from which to start, right? So I say an easy one. It's it's somewhere where there's definitely like a direction we can start off in. It's not like a, a massive open question. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. The the ideal, I think we, we discussed this very briefly a while back. The the ideal would be to have an official router that SAPA could use. Like maybe the, the file system is the input to the router. Like you you call the router with the contents of of, of you know, some representation of the file system and it turns into a full-fledged router. Um, the sticking point, as far as I can see, is that uh, on, on the client side, you want to be able to lazy load your routes, but that means that you've got to be able to import things asynchronously. And on the server side, um, we don't have an asynchronous random method. So we, I, I think we would maybe need to think about streaming or async server-side rendering so that we could accommodate dynamic imports um, for for routing, if we were to have a universal router like that, um, like a, a component-based router, I mean. Um, so this is one of those things where like, you, you start out with something that seems like a really obvious and good idea, and suddenly you've opened this massive can of worms and, and need to spend the next several months figuring out your design for asynchronous rendering. But I think we should have that. I mean, I, I think that would be a useful thing to have in its own right. Um, okay, uh, that, that's routing. Uh, it's a complicated topic. Um, 
in React itself, I, I know we've we've had a lot of churn as well on on the routing side, so not at all an easy thing. But um, like like I think I I agree with the the general proposition that um, you know it seems like a good thing for the ecosystem, especially people have, have spoken. Yeah, Vue Vue yeah. Vue definitely does a good job of just keeping it first first party, and uh, yeah, that's a that's a nice thing to have. Um, should we talk about hydration? It's quite nice to be. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, I don't know anything about this hydration stuff, so this is this is all you. Well, there's, there's uh, Rich, a few. Me? Yeah, there's, there's, you're, you might be close to the specifics right now, but there's there's a few uh, issues with how hydration currently works. Number one, it's not as as fast as it could be. Um, I think there's probably some ways that we can speed things up. Number two, there are some bugs. Uh, like if you have a CSS animation running on some server rendered content and then you hydrate that, then CSS animation will restart, which is obviously no bueno. So we need to fix those issues. Um, but there's, there's also this larger question about incremental hydration um, and selective hydration which is to say that if you've got a very big page with lots of content and you hydrate it, then that, uh, that chokes the main thread for, a, for what could become a noticeable amount of time. Um, and so it would be nice if there was a way of doing that in stages instead of doing it all at once. Um, it would also be nice if when you have parts of the, of the, of the application that are fully static, that you don't need to hydrate those at all, that they, they just sort of, stay on the page and, um, and, and don't do anything. Um, and these are all very difficult, hairy technical questions um, that will, will take some, some yeah, careful design. I was, was going to ask, isn't this one of those issues that haven't really been solved? Like in, in general, in the, in the, in the front Well, line? you know, I, so I, I harp on a lot about, um, I try not to, but I harp on a lot about web components because um, I, I think they have some fatal flaws in their design and uh, by and large, they're not suitable for app development. However, they do have an answer to this question of selective hydration, which is that um, if you have uh, an element on the page that is a custom element that has some, some markup and some styles, then it will only hydrate um, once JavaScript kicks in and like all the rest of your static HTML is just left alone. The downside of course is that until the hydration happens, if you have any shadowed on content, then nothing will happen at all. Um, but they, they have sort of created a benchmark that those of us like in the framework skeptic, in the web component skeptic framework land should try and aim for. Right. I was going to say, I think, um, I think, the 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 okay. well I'll, I'll i'll go ahead with my thing um just quickly you know this is something i think rich touched upon this in his essay on the in defense of the modern web i think that's something that we're all thinking about maybe um with like the stuff that we have to get better at as as framework people um the uh the other thing i'll, I'll, I'll sort of bring up which we have kind of I, i've kind of felt suspense thrown in there is that um react is kind of actively looking at suspense to do this work um in, in a sense of like, you can suspend indefinitely until you actually need uh, to load uh, that JavaScript. I think that's what they're trying to do. And we, um, it's not unsolved in the sense that there are working demos that you can go and look up where they show incremental hydration and um, I forget the other term for it, selective hydration. Um, I think it's based on like, whether it's in the window 
or like your mouse is hovering over it. And so we might need to like provide a few different triggers for that. But I don't think they're going to be that many. It's just like, is it rendered or not? And then is it in the window or is your mouse on it? That's those pretty much those are the three levels of, you know, selective selecting your hydration. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to actually mention that the, the PRs that are open because people have solved the hydration issue. Um, they have said, you know, this is this is how you do it without tearing down the DOM. Um, and it looks like we're just kind of sitting on them and, not, and kind of ignoring them, but but we're not. So the reason they haven't been accepted and merged uh, straight away is because, again, it's kind of, it solves a corridor case problem, but it doesn't solve the wider problem um, in that Svelte's actually quite generous about what it will and won't hydrate. Um, it doesn't mandate this perfect structure that it can rehydrate it. it. It is quite lenient in terms of that. So whilst these will solve that major case, they will then break those cases where people are using it with even non, non svelte generated SSR code. So um, yeah, just wanted to mention that. And I think those cases are more common than people generally acknowledge. I, I very often will have, for example, buttons that are disabled until hydration is complete. Um, and so just a, a minor thing like that, if you assume that the markup that comes from the server is good to go, then you're going to end up with a broken application, not to mention anything yeah. that involves like timestamps or anything of that nature. Like if you have a, a post that was posted three minutes ago when it was server rendered, but by the time it gets to the client it's four minutes ago, then like, Hey, you've got a broken app. Um, yeah. We've got to be able to accommodate those cases. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, uh, well, there. So, uh, you know, just I don't know how how, much, how whether or not people care about this this thing or not. But um, you like you brought it up yourself with opening an issue about Svelte suspense. Like, does that actually mean yeah. like a heavier runtime uh, as far as Svelte is concerned? It would do if we were to implement it because uh, we would need to to change the the update model slightly. At the moment, when a component updates, it it just goes ahead and updates the DOM immediately. Um, and we would need to switch to uh, an approach where it was storing those updates in a list and then applying them after the fact. And so that I've, I've sort of dabbled with some uh, imaginary pseudocode to see what this would look like. And it, it would involve generating slightly more code, which, you know, we want to avoid in the general case. Um, but it would also enable some other things like um, error boundaries and stuff, which we Ooh. don't really do at the moment. So it, it might be worth looking at that. More broadly, though, I am a little skeptical about suspense. Um, I, I think we need to wait and see uh, how it plays out in practice before we commit to suspense. Um, you know, SAPA has something rather suspense-like in the form of preload function. Uh, the things that you want to use suspense for generally, um, which is deferring some kind of navigation, we can do that at the page level with SAPR already. And that serves like 80 or 90% of the use cases for, for suspense that I've seen described in the wild. Meanwhile, I see people who are wrestling with beta versions of React, um, trying to get suspense working, and it, it's causing them no end of confusion and pain um, because the mental model is, is just so different. Uh, when you're working in that world. And so I, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that it's the right direction for frameworks to go in. Um, but I, I could easily be proven wrong. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a very evolving field and nobody really knows until we just try it out. Um, perfect. It's That's quite it. nice to be late to the party on this sort of thing, you know. <laughs> Same with routers, right? Because you get the uh, the prior investigation of every other framework out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is this is kind of like the, the Svelte's way of being, right? Is we, we want to include as much stuff as possible, but we because we're a, a, a small volunteer team, we don't have um, the benefit of so React, for example, because they have this huge community, this huge ecosystem, and React itself has always been, we're going to have this very um, small uh, focus in the library itself. And then, you know, you go off and build React router and React spring and React this, React that. And then um, the, the best solutions will rise like cream to the top. Um, but then they don't integrate them into the framework itself. So you, you get this constant churn. Um, whereas we've always said, like, we want to include this stuff in the framework itself, but we don't have the ability to do that amount of investigation. So I think if we can, if we can do what you describe, let the community reach the best possible solutions and then integrate the best ones into the framework, then it might take us a little bit longer, but ultimately I think that's the best of both worlds. Awesome. And this is, this is kind of how the case for like starting pre-process and, and the TypeScript stuff, it's all been community projects that have been brought into the fray as well. So it's, it's quite nice in that respect. Yeah. And one day I'd love to add Svelte native to that list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I still, I still haven't really tried it out more than like a simple, simple application, but from what I understand, it's pretty, pretty well done. Like so it's, you can, yeah. Yeah, like you could for sure yeah. make production-ready so apps for it. I, I think. I'm completely ignorant, ignorant about this, but like, how much is done by native scripts and how much is done by this fault side of things? Couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I, I've I've never actually poked the code either, but my understanding is that it's it's basically Svelte component running on top of native script. So native script is providing like a, a fake DOM essentially. Um, yeah. And the components themselves are basically unchanged. Cool. Awesome. Um, should we talk about the other addition to Svelte, uh, Svelte GL? Sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this bad child that we never get to, but we always want, we always mean to get to it, but we never ah, get to it. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a very bad habit of building things that I need at work uh, and then thinking, Oh, this could be useful to other people too, and then sort of throwing them over the wall in a somewhat incomplete state. It's fine. And imagining that somehow I'm going to find time to to finish them and polish them up and add documentation and all of these other things. And so that's true of Svelte GL. It's also true of Pancake, my charting library. Um, and all I can say is I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I, mean, I would love to anyone spend is, more time doing Svelte GL. Free. It's really well, yeah, but the, the trouble is with something like Svelte GL is um, getting the API right is um, it's not straightforward. And uh, I think there are, there are a lot of problems in open source that can be solved by just throwing people at them. Um, but API design for something that is in a bit of an experimental state is not one of those things. It, it, needs, um, it, it needs some dedication from like a small number of people who kind of have understood the problem space and I'm still in the process of understanding the problem space. Um, 
so I mean, I, I guess if there are people out there who, who are pretty familiar with 3D graphics and have used things like three or other WebGL libraries and have a really good grasp of the concepts involved, then you know, maybe we should make it a bit more of a collaborative thing. But um, until then, it has been a little bit neglected and that's, that's on me. We're, so, so okay, just, just to, you know, if I'm, if let's say I, I'm one of those people listening and I, and I have some background and I have some interest um, and I, I got to go to the repo, like where, where, where do I start? Where do I, do I just fall in the shoe saying like, here I am, like, you know, I'm ready to discuss stuff. I guess. Yeah. Or yell at me on Twitter. Okay. Um, okay so do, the, do, this, we have a, this makes... do we have a GL part of the, of the discord? We do. Uh, okay, we is... did do. Maybe, maybe that's a bit misleading uh, at some point, like making it, it more uh, showing up as more per, like active than it actually is. No, I, th we, I think there should need be a, a place. We need a place to chat about it. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a GL channel in, in the Discord. Yeah, um, I haven't I haven't put it in a while, but it's actually quite active. It looks yeah. It's people it, says make... it looks like this Goblin King guys all over it. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's doing like an MMORPG, right? What? Yeah. yeah. And so I think oh. yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Cool. <laughs> I guess the final boss is going to be the uh, Goblin King. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of makes sense. So th this kind of brings me to to uh, another question. So so you said you you usually do stuff on, like stuff you do for work. You if I might realize, oh, someone else might need this. So, so what are you currently working at that might for, the, uh, for, for someone else in the future? Um, the, the stuff that I'm working on at work at the moment isn't, it's very NYT specific. Uh, for the last several months, I've been working on our coronavirus tracker project, um, which is a thing that got started uh, early this year when um, the, the, the pandemic was was first blowing up. There wasn't a, like a good single authoritative place where you could track the um, the rising cases and deaths around the world, um, largely because our own government wasn't um, doing a great job of making this data available. Um, and so, what began as a as a, a fairly modest spreadsheet-driven effort with a few maps and charts has since ballooned into this thing with uh, dozens and dozens of different pages. We have a page for every state in the US. We have a page for numerous countries around the world. We have a world page. We have a USA page, a USA page in Spanish, um, plus various pages tracking testing data and all these other things. Um, and so I'm part of a, a team, like a huge team, a team that's bigger than most newsrooms in the US uh, of developers and designers and reporters who are trying to provide that authoritative um, data source. And I'm working on the, the, on the publishing end of that, like trying to figure out how we, you know, can actually keep these pages updated several times a day. Um, and the pages, they, they use Svelte quite heavily. Um, they use Pancake um, and they use other things, but there hasn't been any development in any of in any of those things as a result of the project all of the development has been on getting our publishing system to behave with a project of this magnitude because normally it's for single one-off articles and stuff and we're pushing it to its limits yeah, it's almost a new site you know it's uh 
it's a it's a dedicated app for for this issue and uh yeah well we we compare it to our election coverage um because which you're also going to have will... this year <laughs> yeah well oh, we, wow. we already do because like there's 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 elections happening all the time um the big one obviously is going to be in november but uh, between now and then there's a bunch of other stuff um and the election app is a thing that powers dozens of pages across the site and there's a bunch of components that are shared between all of them but then some of them are specific to specific pages and so like you, you have this this big management problem of how do you orchestrate all of these different things and the, the coronavirus pandemic is is very similar to that in terms of how we approach the project awesome cool that is important work <laughs> yeah i mean it's just yeah the covid thing is crazy all right do we have any any last few, few well because we got a, we got a couple of topics on pancake and melina any um i think pancake is kind of like the same boat is is, is pretty much yeah it. i think we've covered pancake yeah. do we what uh, what's, to the, hear what's, about the, what's the call to action for pancake what um what do people want uh, what what does rich want Documentation. Um, I, uh, so I, I made a, a very small start on building some documentation, but I, I never got around to deploying it. Um, and that is mostly because we need it for internal use. Like my, my coworkers building things with it, like always having to ask me questions about <laughs> how it all fits together. And if we had some documentation and examples, then that would help. Um, so I, I just need to get the ball rolling on that. And then that would be a thing that I think people could contribute to. And that would be um, broadly appreciated. Um, yeah, that's, that's it. Docs. <laughs> <laughs> will this, will this ever be on the, on the, on the level of like an official library, like an official Svelte library or is, will it always be sort of third party? Uh, I, I think it could, well, so it, it's on NPM, it's released under the Svelte namespace. Oh. Um, but I, I, I don't know if it would be elevated to the point of being like a subdomain on Svelte.dev or something like that. I, I think there's, I think there's room for multiple different takes on the problem of charting. Like Pancake is is purely about, um, like it's basically just about managing scale, Cartesian scales. That that's all there is to it. Like it doesn't do pie charts. It doesn't do lots of other things that you might expect from a charting library. It's really column charts, bar charts, line charts, scatter plots, stuff like that. Um, so there are there are other things that have um that, that support a much broader array of chart types like my coworker michael keller um, maintains layer cake a library called layer cake which um does all of the things pancake does but and a lot of other stuff as well uh so you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily say that like one of those should become the official charting framework i think there's room for for different ones so melina what what is it it's uh from what i understand it's supposed to make uh make uh, like the reactivity a bit more uh, native-like? Is that a it's, good description? Yeah, so there's a blog post that, that I've, I've read a couple of times and I haven't sort of weighed in on, on this thing yet because I really want to understand what it's doing and how it works before I, I form an opinion. It sounds great. Like it looks really cool. Um, it compares some generated code between Svelte and Molina and uh, the Molina code is is doing some some smart things like uh, generating HTML and then grabbing child nodes from it instead of programmatically constructing the the, the DOM tree. 
um, which means that the generated code is smaller uh, for a lot of things. Um, there's a couple of design decisions that I'm not totally sure about, like the it changes the event handling syntax slightly, but basically it's like a, 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 a almost Svelte clone that generates smaller code and has more reactivity features. Like you can push to arrays and that will cause an update immediately. Um, and it looks great, but as I say, I wanna, wanna try and understand it better first. Cause like, I, I don't know what it's not doing, right? There's Svelte has a gazillion features that are probably not present in this thing because it's quite new. And, you know, it's conceivable that some of the design choices that it's made are incompatible with some Svelte features. Uh, so yeah, need to, need to understand it better. Yeah. And I, I also haven't had a huge look at it, um, but I've seen some discussions about it. And I think one of the, one of the big sort of uh, potential bugbears again, without really understanding how it works is that it shifts a lot of that reactivity into the digest loop on the, on the client side. So it's doing something that's more uh, akin to like what Angular might do or, or React might do versus what Svelte might do. Svelte being a thing that wires things up on that, on the, uh, in the compile before, you know, before compilation. Uh, again, it's not something I completely understand, but that's what I understand from what the, what the current sort of analysis of it is, has been. Uh, there's another one called Svelte M. I'm not sure what the relation between the two is, but it seems to be very similar. Yeah, so yeah. I, if I remember correctly, the same guy wrote, um, wrote Molina and Svelte, and I, I think it's just a rename, a rebrand, uh, maybe. Wait, he, he wrote a Svelte competitor called Svelte? No, well, oh. Svelte M. <laughs> I, I think the Svelte M thing was just to show like some reactivity stuff, like oh look at this you if you only do yeah. this you can you can push to race yeah i agree with something that like that. Think, that's, that's probably like the first I thing i i ran into and that's a big problem um but i don't know you just learn to deal with it but maybe maybe that he shows he's showing a better way you know well yeah. i think i think the thing is they're both they're both almost pitched as a set by the author they're pitched as a set of optimizations that Svelte could incorporate yeah. um they're not designed to compete directly um <laughs> People have taken it on uh, and, and started promoting it um, as a direct competitor in a kind of way that's saying that we would never have these optimizations and this is going to take over and it's going to be the future, which is not, I think, what the original author's intention was. It's a bit of a wild, wild thing, but um, but yeah, it's it's not like it's not like we don't want to optimize felt in any way. It's just that it has to be properly assessed because, as Rich says, neither of these, well, Molina, let's say, doesn't do anything like what Svelte does. It, it's a very, very small set of things. It's cherry-picked certain things it thinks are suboptimal in Svelte and optimized those. And we don't know whether the optimization that the, that's been done is, is sensible or not, or whether it worked with any of the other stuff. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing uh, investigation, and obviously like, it'd be interesting to hear more from the author and, and, and about the design decisions and stuff too. So who knows? By the way, Maybe I think this is... on the podcast one day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be great. Yeah. I, there's yeah. some there's some benchmark numbers here that show um, Melina being uh, quite a bit faster than Svelte at certain tasks, yeah. and I think this is an amazing way to contribute to a to a framework is to say you could be doing these things in a completely different way. Like if you were to do that as a pull request, then you know you would have it would be a much bigger task, right? Because like you need to yeah. change the entire workings and you, know, you need to rewrite 
entire chunks of the framework while making all of the existing tests pass. But if you can just sort of create a new thing from scratch and say, what if we'd gone down this road instead, then you can prove an idea without the massive overhead of contributing to the framework directly. So I, I definitely approve of, um, of the existence of this thing. I, I just don't yet have an opinion on the, the, uh, what's going on under the hood yet. And I want to. Wonderful. Yeah. But I mean, it's, this is really impressive work. Yeah. All right. I think that, that was our, our last uh, topic, I think. Well, then do we want to do, uh, do we want to do picks? Does everyone have, have a pick? I can go. I can go. My picks. Yeah, go, go ahead, Anthony. Yeah, no. I was going to say my pick is listed below, so I'm not going to have a pick because I think we'll cover it anyway. Uh, sure. We seem to have the same picks from last time. Oh, I, okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll I'll just write my own picks. Uh, so my so I've been I've been experiencing. Uh, so I wrote a hundred thousand word book, um, over two months, and that was a lot of typing, and I started to get some RSI, and uh, and and so you know I think I think we have to preserve our fingers because that, that that's the primary way in which we express our. Um, our code until uh, Elon Musk finishes his Neuralink project, and then we just plug into the matrix. <laughs> um, but, uh, so I, I've got I've got the uh, Microsoft Sculpt, um, and it's it's this this is this, this keyboard that's kind of slopes the other way. So a lot of keyboards slope upwards, and that's actually actually bad. Oh, Anthony has one. There it is. <laughs> um, and uh, it's it's yeah, it's really changed my mind on on um, on how good sort of wireless keyboards can be, and and and, and mice. Um, Especially how with everything, like the way that you remove the, the covers, it, it just uses magnets. So it just kind of sticks together nicely. Um, there's all these little touches, which like people have been raving about it. I, I, I'm a late adopter for sure, but I tried it out. You know, I had, I have some uh, money from, from work to, um, to, to buy some equipment and uh, yeah, I'm loving it so far. Uh, and my, my, my trick, my tip is, uh, so I, you know, I, I did a bunch of research into RSI. So you can find it on my, on my site, my, my notes on RSI. And one of the, one of the tips is you, you don't want to do like this, like with your, with your hands up like that. You always want to kind of, um, you know, suspend it. And that's why people use wrist rest. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, like the, the experience of wrist rest isn't very good. So what I've done is I put the keyboard inside of a drawer and I rest my hands on the drawer. <laughs> so I'm always suspended <laughs> and typing, typing the right way. <laughs> Um, and it's working well. It's working well. Yeah. It might cut off my circulation. I think <laughs> it might cut off my <laughs> it might cut off my circulation for a bit, but I, then I just move more. It's it's worth noting actually. Another advantage of this keyboard is because when you normally type when you type on a regular keyboard, your 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 wrists are like you can't see on an audio podcast, but you can see on a video one maybe. But your hands are like this. But with this keyboard, it forces a more natural angle, and I think that for me, because I used to get like twinges and stuff that solved all of that. I haven't had a single twinge in, in years since having this keyboard. Mm. Yeah. All right. Um, I have a pick. Uh, it's, uh, so I recently got a Raspberry Pi 4 and I decided to install uh, something called Matrix on it. Um, cool. Which is like a, I don't know, peer-to-peer -peer kind, not, not really peer-to-peer, -peer, but some kind of chat, encrypted chat service. So I'm looking at moving away from like using any any kind of like services run by companies. <laughs> Getting tired of of privacy issues. <laughs> it's, nice. it's just a fun tinkering project, really. So I would recommend getting a Raspberry Pi. 
I think. I've had one. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely good for, yeah, small hacking stuff. I just like, you know, if it shuts down, I, I have no way of knowing. So <laughs> I, I tend to default to the yeah. cloud if I, if I can. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I have sense. a bunch of them around the house. They are pretty cool. I think the only ones that I've had anything on long-term is um, I've got one upstairs and one downstairs, but basically for a project called, um, I think, what's it called? It's not Audacity. It's, it's, it's some audiophile music project, but it's like having a, a Sonos in your house that only costs like $30 or whatever. Yeah. Um, streams to your existing speakers, uses a DAC on the Pi, so it's got like supreme audio quality, and you can you stream should. and you can do Spotify cast from your phone and stuff. You should write about this. Um, this. This sounds good. It sounds really. I should. I try to remember the name of it. I want to find it quickly. Whilst uh, Rich, have you got a pick? Because I can find the name of this whilst you're doing yours. I, I have a pick. Um, so it's it's summer in New York City, and that means there's lots of flies about. Uh, I have a device here called the Executioner. <laughs> and it looks, like, it looks like a tennis <laughs> racket. It's, it's actually these... called the ex Executioner. Yeah, yeah. Can, I'll hold this up to the webcam. Yeah, that's his, that's his real name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, and you, there's like a there's a few different models um, similar to this that, that you can get that sort of resemble tennis rackets, but this one is orders of magnitude more powerful than anyone that I've used before. To the extent that if you actually manage to make contact with a fly, then if it's small enough, it will just instantly vaporize with a very satisfying crack. <laughs> Um, and so uh, despite being intensely worried about the impending insect apocalypse, I, I love my executioner. It's so so what, what kind, what kind of a... flies and mosquitoes do you have over there? <laughs> uh, we certainly have plenty of mosquitoes. Um, yeah, I had yeah. fruit flies. I made the mistake of buying a pineapple from Trader Joe's and my flat was full of fruit flies for the next week. Um, so don't, don't do that. Um, yeah, just, just like normal, normal flies that you get living in a, gross city like new york <laughs> so i i i i also have uh, the executioner downstairs as well um and i will say that if you look what it does close up if you hit a fly with it you know you've got those, those really annoying flies fly around it literally blows their wings off it's like i can't imagine what that must feel like to a fly i mean obviously got a, <laughs> oh, got a uh, system inside but their wings just go poof. it's crazy it's absolutely crazy mm -hmm. it does work yeah. surprisingly enough yeah, well, y'all need to just. Um, I remember the. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, the name of my project that I was talking about is Volumio, so it's like Volume IO, um, and it's, volume little, it's like a little Node.js app. Oh, that's oh, free and open source. Yeah, they should, but they. I, yeah, but it is, it is, and it's and it's amazing. It's equivalent to a Sonos, but a lesser walled garden. So I really, really like it. I think it's a great yeah. project. Rich, this this looks like your your type of thing. Hmm. You like the audio? Yeah. What's the what's the URL? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, Volumio. Uh, Volumio.org. It's in the chat. Um, cool. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I, I spelled it wrong the first time. Hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, very done. cool. It does multi-room now as well. So you can choose a room on your phone and direct to a room you want to play music in. It's pretty cool. I should check this out as well. Awesome. Now I just need to have they a have flat a paid... big enough to make it worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have a paid plan as well, but it's the free one is is you know everything barring some plugins and stuff. So it's it's really good. Um, All right. I think that's it for uh, for our chat with, uh, yeah. with Rich. 
Thanks so much for yeah. having for coming on. Our thanks show. for coming Thank on. You, Rich. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for working on Svelte. Right. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys. Um, See right, you gonna, yeah, we're, we're gonna shut down. So there we go. That's that's. <laughs> oh, nice, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs>